invite you to stand with me for the reading of the word, if you are able. I'll be reading from Psalm 119 and then Ephesians 4. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. With all my heart I have sought thee. Do not let me wander from thy commandments. Thy word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on thy precepts and regard thy ways. I shall delight in thy statutes. I shall not forget thy word. And then Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that He also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body being fitted and held together by which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You may be seated. Amen, and thank you, Maltbees, your blessing to your church family, and hopefully the most alert among us, you'll say now, is that not the same communal, or the the reading of focus for the last three weeks? You're right, that that's uh, been our passage, this extraordinary charge to the church. What is the church? It's really a question that we don't uh, ask once, but it's one we must return to again and again in our years together. So what are you doing here? 
um, what do we think we're doing? Now, it'd be a very, uh, I think, a great tragedy indeed if uh, we fell into the, the, the trap of thinking that church is the place you come to hear the seminar. And, and that's more or less how it's used, isn't it? You're in a conversation, and people reference church. What the mind goes to, well, that's the, the building you go to for an hour on Sunday mornings, and you hear a little bit of the Bible, and you go about your life. That's how most of us use it. And what I've been trying to lay out, as we see here in Ephesians 4, is that it's better probably to think of the church as the people of God on the move, uh, that there's a mission at stake. It's not just we come here and that's it, but God's called us to this time and this place uh, to do the work that he's charged us to do. And uh, far from falling into formulaic practices, we've also looked at the fact that times in history, God's people have come together and God's not been happy. Uh, that the heart's been far from him, or they've lost sight of the mission, or have confused the primary mission of the church uh, with the secondary mission of the church, or a tertiary issue of the, th the church. You get the idea. It'd be a real shame if the people that God has assembled here in this area, with all the people around us, if we missed our mission. And mission statements can be very confusing sometimes. A lot of you have at work, you're like, I, you know, I get lost in the weeds here, and you're always tempted to add things and make it sound fancy. Try to make it very simple for all of us uh, that we'll be able to, to know it off uh, very easily. And I, I think of it as E squared, something that had been given to me many years ago. E squared, two E words, edification and evangelism. That the purpose of the church is to edify the believer to build up the people who are in Christ into full maturity. Did you catch, as we've read this chapter, how that language comes out a number of times, right? That we're here, the pastors are here, and the people are here so that we build each other up. We build up the body of Christ. Or again, that we're a body working properly, building itself up in love. Or again, but you're good for building up. So this idea of the edification of the saints, that if you're a Christian, that uh, you're participating in a mission that is going to mature you and mature others into uh, the fullness or more and more be brought more and more into the conformity of Jesus. Now, none of us completely arrive this side of heaven, right? As we'll see that the old man, as the Bible calls it, always lurks there. But we want to build each other up. And then the second E, evangelism, means that God's people put on display for the non-believing world what it's like to have Jesus as king. And this has always been the case, right? Right through the Bible. Why does God call Israel his people? He says, well, the relationship that I'm to have with Israel is to show the non-believing world what it's like to worship the only true God. And so it is with the church. Here we are. And the idea would be those people at Providence Church, they really understand grace that there's something different about them, that they, they have a, a totally different way of looking at the world. They, they actually think they're, they're all sinners in rebellion against God and that they've been recipients of God's kindness in Jesus, that they think Jesus is the Savior King. That's the idea. And in the manner in which we live our lives and as God uses the proclamation and the witness of our lives, that the kingdom of God would expand and God would be glorified. So anybody who's here, you say, what are you, what, what is that church? What's the mission of the church? Say, we want to build up mature believers in Jesus, and we want to put on display to the non-believing world what it's like to have Jesus as the Savior. Now, those things being said, e easy enough. You say you right through, build, build up the believers, evangelize the lost. What we've been taking time doing is behavioralizing the mission. Now, the word behavioralize is 
uh, is not a word. I, I, I worry, you know, actually of being a fast talker and a preacher. I've said a lot of words that aren't real words. Uh, Bible has a, a lot of warnings over, about fast talkers and people who talk a lot. That's certainly me. So I got to heed that. Maybe slow down as I age as a minister. But here, here's the point. We want to behavioralize the mission. So think of all the things, even in the announcements today, that I'd say, well, we've got a college ministry on Tuesday nights, we've got men's breakfast, we have women's Bible studies, we have socials, we have children's ministry. You think of all these things happening in Providence Church, all as, as arrows. You say, if you're not careful, say, all those arrows can be going different directions, and you say, well, here we are, we just kind of plop down, we don't really know. Say, we want everything happening here driving all the behaviors, the little meetings, the way we, we conduct ourselves in speech, the socials, why we're redoing the lobby. You say all that's fitting in with the mission to build one another up into maturity in Christ and to show the non-believing world what it's like to have Jesus as king. Now, in order to help us think about these behaviors, you say we think in terms of the six pillars. You say this is on our website. And so what's going to happen is, uh, you know, you come in and you say, you know, pastor, uh, you know, I'm really not getting it uh, with this whole, you know, Christian thing. Uh, we'll start to walk through these behaviors that point us towards Christian mission. And we got through two of seven so far. So notice the base of the pillars. Repentance. So it's an intimidating word but a wonderful word. That the word repentance really means changing direction, kind of changing the way you're thinking about the world. And what, what does that change as far as the Christian is thinking about it? See, we come into the world thinking about ourselves. We think about our own ambitions and our advancements. We're inclined to take advantage of others. I certainly don't want to be accountable to God, and I certainly don't want to come to Jesus the Nazarene. That I come in with a clenched fist saying, this life is about me. I'm going to do it on my terms. You say, this is, this is the heart of sin. That it is an Austin-centered universe rather than a God-centered universe. That's how we all come into the world. But we encounter Jesus. There were those, those of us who are Christians, that we've been convicted about this, thanks to God's work in our lives, to say, you know what, my sin, what I've just described, thinking that the universe is about me, and all of you are here to serve me and can be used as means to my ends, you say, that disposition is quite serious. Because, again, I've turned my back on the creator of the universe. It's about the seriousness of sin and the greatness of the Savior. That acknowledging that we're all sinners, we also see in the word repentance that God has made a provision by sending his very own son, the man who hung on the cross. Say, in other words, repentance is a great declaration that I am a great sinner, what Newton said, but Jesus is a great savior. Now, this posture, a lot of people think, well, repentance, that's what you do when you're converted. It's a one-time thing. You say, no, the, the point we made that first week is that repentance is the very disposition of the Christian. It is a daily uh, movement to say, you know, that old man, to use again the Bible's term, that old man to say, Austin, the world's about you. Uh, you should feel good. You deserve it. You know, take it, man. Nobody's watching. Do what feels good. Say, that man's always alive in me. And it's only by faith in Christ that we'd say, I must turn from that and turn towards Jesus and the great provision that God has made in him. So we start with repentance. A way of putting it is this. Are the members of a church, so we get all these directions on what the church should be doing. Are the members of the church really committed to Jesus? Do we see how great he is that we need him? And if we don't understand that we were once alienated and you know, children of God's wrath, and we say you, you lose the reason for having a savior. So I hope we see that. May the people of the church be really committed to Jesus, to turn to him, to delight in him, to be convicted of our own sin, and to see the greatness of the Savior. Then first pillar on top of that is 
corporate worship. So you can say Sunday mornings. If you got up today, just Sunday morning, you always go through the motions on Sunday morning. I hope not. What we saw last week is the church were called into fellowship, that it would be very strange in the history of the church for someone to say, I'm a Christ follower, but I want nothing to do with the family of God, you know, the bride of Christ. No, God's given us one another actually as a gift to grow us up in faith. That the church, when working properly, this is what I think about a lot in verse 16. Say, so that's the key, right? The body that works properly. So we've all seen churches, they don't work properly, very dysfunctional. God, may we be a church that works properly, that builds each, us up, uh, each other up in love and in strength. And the church, in a world that's fragmenting, you say the church then becomes this great pillar of strength, pushing on the believer to greater heights. And we'll explore that more in the weeks to come. So corporate worship is the first. Why do we do it? Again, to be the body, each one of us, if you believe in the sovereignty of God as a Christian, that you're here for a purpose to carry out the mission of building each other up and putting Jesus on display. Now, today we come to something altogether uh, different but central, which we call personal devotions. You might, as you'll see, call it quiet times, but I want to draw your attention here to verses 13 to 16. Oh, well, I guess we'll stop at 15, but listen to this language, right? So here are the pastors. They're equipping the people in the church. Until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, think personhood, not male, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful uh, schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You say, what's the language there? I say the language is one of development, of maturation, right? That there's uh, your faith has a, a, a goal. It's to grow. So a lot of people, again, you have this view, say, well, I'm good. I, I, was at, I was at the crusade at Municipal Stadium in 94. I'm all set. As if, you know, that, that's it. You see, I've given you some cross-references just to show you that it's all over the place in Paul. Peter talks about it. Author of the Hebrews talks about it. Jesus talks about it to say, no, when you're converted... That's the start of a lifelong journey of growing up in Jesus. To move from being a child, right, in terms of what you know and uh, how easily you're influenced, or even an infant, growing up into maturity, you say, into adulthood in your relationship with Jesus. You know, I love how many babies we have at Providence. It's wonderful, but I'm, every time I see small children, I come right back to this language to say, that little child is completely dependent on his or her mother. That you say, if you just let them be, say they're really, really going to struggle. They're just not going to make it. And the Bible uses that language. When we first become Christians, we're, we're like infants. who says like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I have no idea how to navigate, navigate my Bible or be strong in the faith or even what the church is about. So hopefully in your years of being a Christian, by the time you've been a Christian, you know, 5, 10, 15, up to 50 years, maybe more, you'd say, you know what, now I really have grown in my faith then I'm much more mature than I was when I started. Hopefully that's true for you, that, that your faith is not a, a, a stale commitment at some point, as important as conversion is, but this ongoing journey of being matured by, in the faith and, and to grow up. So how does this happen, right? You ask, I see the language here, you know, how am I gonna, how do you mature in the faith? 
Does it just happen, you know, spontaneously? Or does God tell us how, some ways in which that's done? And that's what I'd like us to see today, that God actually gives us means, means to grow up in the faith. And you notice this maturity is a little bit of a sidebar here. You say the maturity that I, I love, there is definitely a knowledge component to it. You see, so Paul wants the church to grow up so that they're not uh, confused by false teachings. See, that's there. There's got to be a knowledge component. What does it mean to be a Christian? What is it, who is God? See, that's very important to know. But there's also growing up in areas of, we'd say, the heart. Say, we're to grow in unity. Well, unity requires humility. And we're to grow in our faith. And we're to grow in our love. The maturity in the Christian life is not just knowledge. Those are, there's a knowledge component, but also to, to grow in the heart. It's truth along with the heart. Now, in all these matters, you know, to use an analogy, you think, okay, I, I, I see this, that actually there's a movement in the life of the Christian from immaturity to maturity. Say, I really desire that. I want that. I'd be you know, more in the image of Jesus than I was when I first became a Christian. I see that movement, and this is going to take some effort. So you think about that. You say, if there's something important in your life, you can think of a relationship, you can think at a craft, you can think at a job, and you want to take it seriously and you want to grow in that area, what does it take? Say, it's going to take time and effort. You say, if you wanted to be a great tennis player and you say, you know what, uh, I'll give it 25 minutes a week. Or in the case today, you know, 65 minutes a week, or if I'm feeling especially wordy, maybe 75 minutes a week to keep you here. So I give it 75 minutes a week to, to think about God and to think about his word. And after that, you know, th that's it. I go through the rest of my week and, and, and God is uh, out in the periphery. You say, that wouldn't cut it. You say, if something's important and it's going to be a focus in our life and there is a movement of development then it's going to take real effort. Think in relational terms. Say you want a better marriage. Say, Mallory, you got 65 minutes of my time this week, and that's it. I'll listen. I'm yours. I'm available. But don't expect anything else from me because I'm actually quite busy. Uh, I got a real, uh, you know, a real church to run out here and, uh, you know, or a real business to run, whatever it would be. You say, well, that'd be a terrible thing. So if we believe there's a relationship to be had with Christ... And if we believe there's a movement of development or maturation in this, that it's going to take, like anything else, time and energy to have relationship with God. And so I think it's best said here, or better said, by um, famous 20th century theologian John Stott. Listen to this. I'll read it slow. It's in the notes. And think about it this week. Our relationship to our Heavenly Father, though secure, is not static. He ardently desires that his children shall grow up to know him more and more intimately. Generations of Christians have discovered, now here strong words from Stott, generations of Christians have discovered that the only way to do so is to make time to wait upon God every day. What many people call daily quiet times, first thing in the morning and last thing at night are an indispensable necessity for the Christian who wants to make progress. Say, do you believe that's true? That there's a God on high? That I can relate to him through his son, the Lord Jesus? That I want to mature in my faith? That it should be the central thing in my life? And if it is, it's going to take a lot more than Sunday mornings. Again, Sunday morning's important. That's last week's sermon. 
but more than that. So first move today, God wants us to grow up in the faith. It's going to take time with him throughout the week with quiet times, each of us before him, those of us who are children. So a little bit there on the, on the what, as we move forward, I think we also need the why, just like we did last week. So, so I think all of us know deep down, you know, the, the pastor, you know, you go and meet with the pastor, he's got a, an answer in his back pocket, and the, the, the answer is always, you know, read your Bible more and pray more. So everybody probably could answer that question. But now we get to the why. Why is this so vital? And I think the, the first thing we have to realize, and when we think of the these daily devotions, really what is central is scripture and prayer, that reading our Bibles personally throughout the week and praying to our Father through Christ by the Spirit are real means of grace in the life of the believer. Now, that's a very important phrase, a means of grace. Say, not a means of salvation. That means something different in different theological systems. But what we mean, what's always meant by means of grace, is that God has given us... Uh, channels and ways to relate with him that he says uh, will enrich your belief and your, your faith. So God says here, I'm going to give you these two incredible things, my word, which we all have multiple copies of and even in our pockets wherever we go, I'm going to give you my living and active word and I'm going to be available to you to communicate with you in prayer. Says, this is how you relate to me. And when we do, they become real avenues for grace and power in our life. So it's not just this thing you say, oh, I got to get through another devotional. But God says, I use scripture and his word and prayer as real methods to pump in the strength and the grace and the wisdom that the believer needs. You know, interesting, very famous at the end of the letter of Ephesians is the armor of God. Say, we're not preaching on the armor of God, but everything, when you read the armor, say a lot of the armor is defensive. You know, you got the shield, you got the belt, and, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, elements that protect you. But there are two offensive weapons. If you read it, you say, what are the offensive weapons? The word of God is the sword and the prayer. Now, you think about that. Say, that's not the way a lot of us re view reading our Bible and praying. We, sit, we think of it as, okay, I, I, I got to, you know, get through this. It's a little bit boring. I'm probably going to be distracted. What I hope we see here is that, that reading our Bibles and praying are the great offensive weapons where God channels power and strength and courage into the believer to complete the task that he has for them. You know, I think of the passage in Joshua. You don't have to flip there, but Joshua... You know, there's an objection whenever you get to this point. You say, okay, more, more Bible, more prayer. And all of you, I, I get it. I get to meet with you during the week. It's one of my favorite parts of being a pastor. And you know what? Our congregation is very busy. You all have immense responsibilities. I, I marvel that the, 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 the people you oversee, the small children that you're raising, uh, all that is on your plate, the, the decisions that affect many, many people, a lot of pressure on our congregation, a lot of very busy people. And you say, how can I possibly devote 10 or 15 minutes a day to reading my Bible and to praying when I have all this stuff to do? And again, I go to Joshua. You know, Joshua's tasked with moving the people of God into Canaan to uh, wiping out the enemies of God to setting up an administrative state. You say, this is overwhelming. How is Joshua 
Joshua, I mean, that's way more than any person can do. And in the beginning of Joshua, God's talking to him, and he says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, Joshua, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. It's almost as if the, the busier you are, the more pressure you have, the more you think that there's no time to read the Bible or to pray is exactly when you ought to be doing those things. Why? Because reading God's word and praying to him are means of grace, ways in which God channels all that he promises to the believer to make you succeed in the task that he's put before you. There are means of grace. You know, think of that little line in Isaiah 30. I'm struck by this, but the prophet says, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Do you believe that? Your strength in your credentials, your pocketbook, your administrative savvy? Or could my strength really lie in those 10 minutes a morning where I say, God, I'm not going to be able to do it today, but I need your help. And you read the word of God and there's something in there for you believer. You say, I needed to hear that today. And it encourages you and it strengthens you, and it helps you focus, and it prevents some errors, and all those wonderful things. Say, that's what we need. We need, we need these in order to press on and to do the task before us. So friends, why do we do this? Why should you read your Bible and pray? Yes, because the Bible says so, which is a good enough reason of itself, but God has given us means. He's given us means to know him, to relate with him, and to feel his strength. Now, closely related to that, Lastly here, is that time with God is often described as, as nourishment or food for the soul. This metaphor comes up a lot. So think of something like Jeremiah 15, 16. The prophet says, your words were found and I ate them. I ate your words and your words became to me a joy and delight, a delight in my life. Psalm 119, the first reading today, the, old, the, the whole, so longest chapter in the Bible, the whole thing is about delighting and reading in the Bible. And I think the, the idea here, and Jesus quotes lines from Deuteronomy, you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, that reading the word of God privately gives you uh, the nourishment in your inner being to go out in a very difficult and challenging world. You know, I thought of a few times in my life, few people, you know, you meet them and they look very healthy when you get to know them, so they're you know, well put together, more or less healthy, and then your friendship goes, and sometimes it's like, they'll, they'll say to me, you know, I've had no energy the last couple months. I'm very weak and very fatigued. And they'll go to the doctor, and the diagnosis, I think on a couple of occasions that I'm remembering, is anemia. And this anemia was a result of lack of proper nutrition. The lack of iron and lack of other vitamins. And you think, well, that's it. You, you, you're, you're say on, on one level, you say you're kind of looking okay, but in other elements, you're weak and very fatigued. And I wonder, you say the image here is, do we have a lot of people in the church who are spiritual anemics? To say, yeah, I, I'm going through the motions and I look together, but I'm you know, loaded with kind of you know, anger and resentment. And you know, I just feel like I'm starving and I, I'm weak and there, there's no faith. And the question comes, have we spent any time with God where he promises to nourish, nourish us, to pump us in with all that is good and all that is right? See, it's very easy these days to be spiritual anemics, to feel very empty. Now, Christian, I think it's true what 
Luther says, right, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing, or said by the Puritans, right? It's like a workman without arms. You say, Scripture and prayer are the gifts God gives us to nourish our souls, to make us strong in the faith, to build us up, that we're never going to reach full maturity unless we do this outside of our times together. Now, what do I think I'm doing during this time? It's a very good question. You say, what gift could a pastor ever give his people? You say, if I had one thing that I say, I wish I could give uh, everybody here, as I understand it, you know, under God's authority, say, I would love for the people of God to have a real hunger for his word. They say, I need that spiritual nourishment. I crave to get into God's word and to know him and to grow up into him. Say, that's the kind of church we want to aim to be. And Christian have no doubt, say, in my own life, do I think there's spiritual opposition? I do. I think, you know, to me, the devices of the enemy are never, more, are never more aggressive than on something like your personal devotional life. You say, you're way too busy. You don't have time. It's hard to do. Uh, it's not valued in our culture. You say, you're going to face that full wave of opposition to even 10 or 15 minutes a day in his word. But you know what? It'll pay dividends. God's given this and his kindness to grow us up. You know, maybe you're a non-Christian today. You're thinking about this. You said, this is, you know, reading the Bible, didn't think of doing that or praying. You know, can you pray? I hope in all this you're seeing a different way of viewing things, that there is a God on high to whom we're accountable, that he's put forth Jesus. And more than that, that he's given us ways to relate with him, that you can know God through Jesus. You can read his word. It'll go to work on your life and convict you and move you and build you up and say, even convince you without a doubt that Jesus is true. And maybe today is the day you say, you know what? I'm done doing life on my own. And I need the Lord Jesus. And I surrender to him on his terms. So you can pray, read your Bible, be strengthened in your faith, and be a part of a loving community. I pray that for you today. So friends, we want to grow up in the faith. It's going to take personal devotions. It's going to take time with the Lord throughout the week. May we pray for one another, say, may we be about that great work. God wants us to grow up. He's given us the means. He wants to nourish our souls. We've got to be strong in the culture in which we find ourselves. So I'll pray and invite the team up. Lord, I, I get so busy. I, I'm at times a spiritual anemic. You say, well, what's the problem here? I feel so disconnected from God, and I'm going through the motions, and I'm, it's as if I'm malnourished. Today, I pray that it comes out, this idea of growing up, of receiving nutrition, spiritual nutrition, that you've given us wonderful ways, ways that all of, accessible to all of us, that we can meditate on your word and work through it and that you would convict us and mold us and while we do that to know that we'll be strengthened for the task that you've called us both as a church and even in the secular world so help us to yes be obedient to you but help us to really apprehend the great value in relating to you lord may we be a mature people not those tossed back and forth by the false teachings or things that the culture comes up with even if they're numerically more popular, but, you know, statistically more popular than anything we come across in your word, help us to be strong in you. Help us to relate to you, have communion with you, to delight in you. For Christ's sake, amen.